0: Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at canduCfc.com. So I, I do this periodically. How many of us got a chance to read 1 Corinthians 14 this week? Awesome. Hey, we're, we're growing in numbers in that way. That's wonderful. Uh, Just make sure you watch in your bulletin, we're going to kind of split up 1 Corinthians 15, that is a long chapter, 58 verses. So we're going to split that one up roughly in half, but I have the verses that we need to to work on for next week in your bulletin. So here in 1 Corinthians 14, there's 40 verses, and that's a lot, so we're going to move quickly through some portions of this passage today, and then we're going to slow down and make sure that we understand some of the trickier spots. At the end of the message today, if anyone wants to talk about something that they maybe felt we moved a little too quickly through and you want more understanding or you have a question or a different insight or something like that, I love that. And I would love to have that conversation with you. So don't ever feel like, well, I can't ask Jeff a question about this stuff because he's been studying all week and if I disagree or if I have a different angle on it, that's going to be, you know, bad news for him. No, I would love that. I love to learn from everyone. We all have... Uh, different understanding in ways that we can be a benefit to one another. So well, let's just, let's get right into it here in 1 Corinthians 14, starting with verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So verse 1 kind of takes us back to what we've been talking about here in chapters 12 and 13. We see the importance of love which we learned is the most excellent way last week, and being eager to desire the most helpful gifts of the Spirit. You can kind of see both of those themes in the first part of this verse. And then Paul specifically emphasizes one of the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy. Now, this is for a good reason, because Paul is concerned about what he calls intelligibility, which is a fancy word for logic or understanding or order in our worship as a church our purpose is to edify and to build up each other right we've been we've been given gifts to do this as we talked about in chapter 12 and they are meant to be used for the common good to be helpful to each other But the Corinthians, they had an unbalanced fixation on one gift in particular, and they overemphasized it to the point that it was actually becoming unruly and disorganized in their worship services, and that was the gift of tongues. A gift that isn't always intelligible or easy to understand. So did you notice how often that Paul mentions the gift of tongues? In chapters 12 and 13, four times he mentions it in chapter 12 and another two times in 13. And that's because, once again, tongues had been used improperly in the Corinthian church. And now Paul is trying to bring a little bit of correction to bring them into a healthy spot on this topic. And he does that by telling them to desire prophecy. So just as a quick review here, tongues is, once again, the Holy Spirit enabling someone to speak in a language that they don't know. It could be an earthly language. It could also be an angelic language or a heavenly language that no one here on earth would ever know. And then prophecy is the gift to hear a message from God and speak it to your church for the benefit of them. It could be directive. It could be corrective. It could be instructional. It could be encouraging. It's, it's one of those things. We receive a message from God and then we speak it to one another with love. So then in verse 2, Paul begins to explain why they should desire to have the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Interesting, right? Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church might be edified. So just like we've read time and time and time again here in 1 Corinthians, Paul's concern is for the whole church. Right? We would never place the individual ahead of the church unless there's a moment where the individual is meant to be cared for by the church because they have a weakness that we come alongside them and we bear with them. So tongues, this en- a- enabling to speak in another language, is a good gift. It usually, however, just benefits the individual who speaks it unless there's an interpreter present who can take what one person speaks and then interpret it for the edification of the body. Prophecy, however, the main point here that Paul is getting at, prophecy strengthens, encourages, and comforts the whole church. Therefore, prophecy, just in a practical sense, if edifying the church is your purpose, prophecy is a more practical gift in this case. Verse 6, now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will it be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? So here Paul offers an example. Tongues on its own wouldn't offer help to anyone else unless it's accompanied by another gift. All of these other four things are also gifts. So it could be revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or instruction from God. When those things accompany tongues, then you have a chance at edifying the body. But tongues on its own, without an interpreter, once again, is not something that is meant to edify the entire church. It's meant for the individual. Again, I want us to remember, though, Paul's not slamming the gift of tongues here. He's not trying to make us think badly of it. It is a good gift. But if edifying the church is the goal, then sometimes there are more helpful gifts than others. So building on this idea, Paul says in verse seven, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? you will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Okay, so we're learning here that tongues is great, but... Prophecy and other gifts like teaching, knowledge, etc. are generally more helpful simply because they can be understood by everyone, right? Like you can understand what I'm saying because I'm speaking in your language. I'm speaking Canadian, but Americans are very good at understanding it, right? So Paul compares building each other up by spe- and, to, and speaking into each other's lives to someone who's playing a musical instrument, There's a right way and a wrong way to play the piano, for instance. If I sat down at the piano and I just leaned on it and just mashed a whole bunch of keys, I would make a sound, but no one would know what song that is because it wouldn't have any distinction between the notes. However, if if Jennifer or Karen were up here and they played something on the piano, we could understand the tune because they know how to play it. They play the right notes at the right times, at the right tempo, at the right place, and then all of a sudden, oh, I know that tune. When Jeff just leaned on the piano, it just made a noise. But when Jennifer and Karen played it, I recognized what they were playing and I understood it. That's kind of what we're talking about here, okay? That's the difference between tongues and prophecy. Understanding versus not necessarily understanding. And that's the goal. Understandable speech spoken amongst Christians that build each other up towards Jesus. So if that's the goal, that's why Paul is emphasizing prophecy so much. So then... Verse 13, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. Isn't that so practical? Lord, I'm saying something I don't know what it means. Would you please help me to understand what I'm saying? That's so good, right? I love that. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. But no one else is edified. Once again... Paul is teaching us the concern is for everyone. Church isn't just about me and and me doing whatever I want. It's for the edification of all. We're all here because we care for one another. We want to speak life into one another. We want to build each other up and help each other to pursue Jesus with our whole hearts. So then the message that I preach is actually for everyone else. It's not for my entertainment or because I feel like this is a topic I want to cover. We speak as the Lord. The Holy Spirit leads us to speak, but it must be intelligible. Otherwise, it's of no use. So this is a positive instruction for us. If God has given you the gift of tongues, pray that God will help you to interpret what you are saying. Not only would that be amazing, but it would be super helpful. It's good to pray in tongues, but it's also good to pray with your understanding. So that's the difference. I could pray in a language that I don't know what I'm saying, and it would be wonderful for me, but if I want to pray over you during praise and prayer, I'm going to pray in your language so that you can understand it because that's beneficial to you. Once again, my concern is supposed to be for you and vice versa. So this applies into praising God as well. In this discussion, Paul puts us in the position to think about someone else. If I'm praising God in spirit, which means with a tongue, an unintelligible word, then and someone else hears me, how can they be in agreement with my worship if they can't understand what I'm singing? Does anyone here speak Swahili? No, I didn't think so. But what if Kathy did? What if Kathy came up here and sang a song for us in Swahili? Maybe it would sound beautiful. I'm sure it would. But would any of us have any idea what she was saying? No, we'd be like, yeah, okay, cool. And we wouldn't know, right? We couldn't join in and say, amen. But because Kathy and Ron and Jennifer sing songs in English, and we can say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I know what that means. And that's something that I want to be in agreement about. So there are certainly times for tongues, but there are also times for us to pray and praise in a language that benefits everyone. You know, Karen and I attended a prayer group years ago when we lived in Winnipeg. This group wasn't a part of the church that we were attending, but we heard about it and and decided that we wanted to to go and see what it was all about because we just enjoyed the idea of learning to pray more with other people and being pushed in in our prayer life. This group was sincere, and they definitely wanted to get closer to the Lord. We, we had gone several times and really enjoyed praying with them. One time we came, and they had a guest from another city who had come to be a part of their group for the day. He taught for a while, which was excellent, and then he said, let's all go up to the front of the sanctuary and pray in tongues. And I was like, oh, it's a bit of a different approach, I guess. I've never done that before. I, I haven't read that the Bible says that that's what we're supposed to do. Because I, I was thinking back to this chapter, well, you need an interpreter. And I'm looking around, was anyone stepping up to say that there's an interpreter here? And nobody did. But I thought, well, maybe that's just my conservative Mennonite upbringing and I need to be more open-minded. So I, I went up front and everyone started just praying in tongues and I didn't understand a word. And Karen and I kind of looked at each other with our eyebrows about this high above our heads. And I just looked down at the floor and I, I remember how uncomfortable I was, even though I was, I was a youth pastor, I was a Christian, I loved the Lord, but I thought, this is weird, this this doesn't actually make sense to me, and I, and I said, I remember thinking, as I was staring at the floor, Lord, I just don't feel you in any of this. So, at the end of it all, Karen and I, we, we left, and we talked about it, of course, and we discussed, you know, what what should we do in a, if, if that sort of situation arises again, and we, we said, ah... Probably we would just excuse ourselves politely. Because in that moment, it says here that, you know, you're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified, right? No one else can say amen. No one else can be in agreement with what you're saying. I believe that every single person in that room who was praying in tongues was absolutely sincere. They loved the Lord. But according to what we're reading here, they're actually doing things just out of order. And we just need to make sure that we understand if we're doing this for the well-being of the church and not just for us, then there is a way in which we're supposed to make things happen. Verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. What a statement, eh? Paul says that to this church. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church... I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I love this statement because we see both sides of the coin. Tongues, good. I want you all to speak in tongues. But I would rather, this is the better of the two alternatives, right? I would rather speak something, even a few words that you can understand that move you closer to Jesus than 10,000 words that don't do a thing for you. I just love the heart that Paul has for the church. He just cares about people so much and wants them to experience Jesus. So because he's thinking like that, he's recognizing what are the more useful, practical, appropriate gifts for the church. Believe it or not, friends, we've seen the word tongues 10 times already in chapter 14. And that's on purpose, though. Just as a reminder, Paul is correcting an overemphasis on this gift. It's a good thing for sure to speak in tongues, but if the purpose of a gift is to serve the church and we're supposed to desire the most helpful gifts, then we need to see tongues in that context as well. Paul speaks a little bit more firmly here in uh, in verse 20. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. So basically he's saying, stop thinking like children when it comes to tongues. And this is a little bit puzzling, maybe, and I had to to think this one over and pray on this one for a a little while here. And and this is kind of the way I'm thinking Paul is is speaking here. Speaking in tongues is a good thing, but it's not necessarily a, a sign of spiritual maturity like some Christians think it is. Some people think that the more wild and crazy you can be in operating with the Spirit, clearly you're far more mature than anyone else. I don't think that's the case at all. As a matter of fact, I think that's a childish attitude. If we, think like, if, we, if we think about kids, they are often drawn to flashy things, right? Not necessarily things that are the most practical. With a baby, we give them a, a toy that makes noise, and it's bright and shiny colors, or it has a mirror on it so that they can see themselves because it gets their attention. Is that toy good for anything besides distracting them? No, and that's okay. We're just understanding that this is how kids think. So Paul is teaching people to not be childish in their approach to the gift of tongues. Don't pursue it because it's flashy and it's an attention getter and you can use it to show off. Because it looks impressive when someone were to, if someone were to stand up here and say, I can speak in a language that no one has ever heard on, in, on earth. And then, then they just go off, right? We'd all be like, whoa, I, I can't do that. That's, that's impressive, I guess, right? But that's not the point. It might look impressive, but, but that's not serving the body of Christ. Especially when the Corinthians, and Paul had to correct them on these things, they were excelling in tongues and they lacked in character because they were self-centered. There was greed, there was lust, there was arrogance. They They did not think of the common good. And that's anything but a sign of maturity or adult thinking, is it? That's actually a sign of distinct immaturity. So we have to understand it's not about the flashy things, it's about the practical things that are the useful things for the body of Christ. When we think like children, we think about what we would prefer or what we enjoy. When we think like adults, we learn to think beyond just our own desires and look to the interests of the whole body of Christ. Verse 21. In the law it is written, With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? <laughs> So this is a very interesting little section here, because what Paul's done, I'll, I'll go back for a second here, in the law it's written, and then you see the quotation marks, so Paul is quoting something actually from Isaiah 28 verse 11, and that whole chapter of, of Isaiah 28 is where God is telling the people of Israel, hey, you've turned your backs on me, you won't listen to me as I'm speaking to you and leading you, and now you're not going to understand me through the lips of foreigners, because I'm going to send a, another nation to attack you, and that that will be a sign to you of my displeasure with you. That's my judgment upon you, okay? So Paul is quoting that because the same kind of idea translates to what's going on with people today. An unbeliever seeing tongues being spoken in a church will not comprehend God because they can't understand anything intelligible if all of us were speaking in separate languages. And And just think that They'll think that Christians are just weird. They're nuts. Like, what's going on? I walked into CFC one day, and everyone's just babbling on in different tongues. Would that be a great testimony of God? No, it wouldn't. Our hearts might be sincere, but we would be so off in our testimony for this community. They'll likely turn away from God because they'll say, like, that was weird, and I don't want to be a part of that. They will remain unconvinced of their need for Jesus that's not what we want, right? So here's the alternative. Verse 24 says, but if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sins and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So I guess I just have a question for us, friends. What is our desire for people who walk into CFC for the first time. Do we want them to know the God that we love and serve? Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to participate. So Paul is teaching because of that, because that's the goal, he's teaching us that to be effective in ministering to each other and even to unbelievers who may be curious about God and walking to our church, we need to desire the most effective gift for that scenario as well. And once again, that gift is the gift of prophecy. Verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of what is meant to take place in a worship service, but rather Paul is giving examples of what could take place. But the emphasis is on that they are done in an orderly fashion so that the church will be built up and encouraged. And here's the orderly way, he continues, here's the orderly way in which tongues is meant to be included in a worship service. So we've, we've heard all the, the warnings and like, whoa, pump the brakes, let's slow down, we're getting carried away with tongues. That's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. But now here's, here's him giving practical teaching on how to include it in the right way. So this is actually wonderful. Verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at the most should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. All right. So there's actually three guidelines here for using the gift of tongues in a worship service. In one church meeting, it says that there should be two or three people speaking in tongues at the most. And if they're going to speak in tongues, they ought to go one at a time. Because obviously, we could have three people up here preaching a message, right? But if we all just went for it and we didn't take turns, no one could understand and you couldn't interpret what was being said. Same thing with tongues. One at a time. And then... The speaker, or then if there is no, there, it must be interpreted, right? Like you speak this, this foreign language, this out of this world language, perhaps, someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, here's the ground rule. And they say, okay, then we're not going to speak in tongues today because that's not what God wants. He wants intelligibility. He wants us to be edified. And I can't be edified if I can't understand what that person's saying. And then you can enjoy that word or that that tongue that God gave you in the privacy of your own home because it's for you and God. It's Earlier it says it's for the benefit of the believer and it's something that they speak to God, right? Okay, so, so we had those guidelines for tongues, but there's also an orderly way for prophecy. Just because Paul says prophecy is better than tongues or more helpful than tongues doesn't mean that there's no guidelines for using that appropriately as well. So here it says in verse 29... Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for, if you can all pro- for you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people." I'll go back again here. So we see once again that there are three guidelines for using the gift of prophecy in a worship service. So it's a little bit different. Even though it sounds similar, it's a little bit different. It says two or three people at the most should speak in tongues, and they go one at a time. But with prophecy, it says two or three should prophesy at a time. So it means that maybe Judy has a word, and she shares that. And then Ben has a word and he shares his. And then Melissa has a word and she shares hers, right? They all go, but they all take turns. Now, here's what could happen. Maybe Judy has her, she's sharing a word that the Lord has laid on her heart for, to, for us to hear from her. But while she's speaking, if all of a sudden the Holy Spirit speaks to Melissa, something that maybe adds to what Judy is saying or something that builds on that or is like a complement to that. Judy then needs to stop because Melissa is going to start to speak. See, there's control there. The gifts of the Spirit aren't mayhem. They're not out of control. It's not like, hey, I'm prophesying and I can't even stop. I'm not, I'm not in my right mind. I'm not in my right body. No, no, no. We're in control. God is a spirit of control, right? Galatians 5, and 23. This fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So when we're, in, when we're operating with the gifts of the Spirit, it's not wild and crazy, It's actually very orderly and very practical because if God wants to build up his church, we're not going to have people doing cartwheels down the aisle. We're actually going to have people taking turns sharing things that are appropriate that build us up in our faith. So the other two, the other things here, so you get two or three prophets that share at a time. Then what they say should be weighed carefully. That means that discernment needs to be a part of it. So sometimes we may hear someone who says, I think this is a word that the Lord has given me to share. Can I please share this? By all means, go ahead. And then we say, okay, well, let's, let's compare this to Scripture. Let's maybe line this up with what the Spirit is saying to each of us. Are we absolutely 100% on the mark? Is most of this good? Is there maybe perhaps a part of this that we didn't hear correctly? And it's okay. I listen to the Lord in my prayer life all the time. Am I 100% accurate? No. That's why we need to discern. We hold everything up against the scriptures to make sure that it is abiding with the spirit of God. So I I love the practicality that Paul gets at here. Tongues and prophecy are wonderful, but there is an order in which they're meant to be used. All right, we're going to move on to two difficult verses here. If any of you were reading 1 Corinthians 14 this week, you're probably like, all right, Pastor Jeff, let's see what you got on these ones. (laughs) So these are two difficult verses, verse 34 and 35, with many, and I mean many theories on what they mean or what they're getting at. Considering that, remember at the beginning, we said that we actually have two of the four letters that were written to the Corinthians. There's actually two other letters that that didn't get included in the canon of Scripture. And that's okay. We didn't get those. So there may be context here that we are not privy to. In essence, we are reading someone else's mail, okay? We're walking in on a conversation that's already been going on and now we're kind of coming in halfway through. It's like if, uh, if Lucy and I were talking about getting a new phone. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Lucy and I were talking about getting a new phone, and then Easton comes in, and he, all he hears is new phone. And if she, he doesn't know that we're talking about Lucy getting a new phone. And he's like, I want a phone. We're all getting new phones? Awesome. No, that's not the context of the conversation, right? So we have to understand that it is possible that what we're reading here today is part of a larger conversation that would shed more light on it. And Paul might be just hearkening back to something that he spoke already in a much greater context to the Corinthians. So I'm not going to say that I have the definitive word on this thing. And most of the commentators that I read all had different interpretations. It's actually pretty wild. So we're going to take this with a grain of salt, and we're going to read this together. And I'm going to do my best to give you what I understand these verses to mean. So verse 34 and 35. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. (laughs) Okay, we're all good? All right, thank you. Once again, we've talked often about cultural context. Remember when we talked about head coverings, and, and we talked about the culture of the day and what those things signified, what they meant, right? It's like, oh! That makes total sense, I get it, and I know why we don't wear head coverings now. I think there's a lot of similarities here. There's a, there's a large cultural context that is gonna help us to understand this. So in the culture of the ancient Near East, women didn't have the same advantages as men, all right? They were not permitted to receive the same formal religious training as men were. So naturally, these women who now were part of following Jesus and they were experiencing freedom in Christ and all these wonderful things, they're sitting in this church service in someone's home and they have a ton of questions because they've been, de- they've been denied the privilege of learning about God to this point in their life. So likely because of all these questions that they would have, someone up front who is speaking or teaching, they're going to be like, well, what does that mean? Because as a pastor, sometimes you assume people know certain things already so you don't have to explain every piece of minutiae but for some people in this case you may have had to because this was literally all brand new to them so paul said okay there's probably a few disruptions that are taking place here and perhaps some of the women were asking a lot of questions like what do you mean by that hang on a second you're saying this but what do you mean i don't get that talk to me help me out and that's good paul doesn't say keep your mouth shut because you're ruining everything and don't don't ever ask questions he says go home and do it all he's saying is, in, while we're in a worship service, let's just try to keep a little bit of flow because the person who's speaking, the Holy Spirit's working in them, right? And they and they want to just be responding to what the Holy Spirit's saying. And then when you have questions, you have this wonderful opportunity to go home and ask your husband, who has received formal training, and you can have a great conversation. Perhaps it's even edifying to your marriage to take the conversation from church and bring that into your marriage, right? So Paul's just trying to maintain a little bit of order and not have the service be disruptive. Really, that's what I believe he's getting at here. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a law for all time. It it says that, you know, uh, it says at one point here, be in submission as the law says. It doesn't say be silent as the law says. So let's not read what it's not saying. Being in submission just means, hey, we submit to one another out of love, right? We care for each other. I, I, the service isn't all about me. It's about everybody. So we just keep that in mind and say, okay, I got some questions. I'm going to scribble these down. I'm going to ask my husband. I'm going to ask Jeff. I'm going to ask my friend who I'm here with. I want to I figure this out. And that's totally appropriate and good. So that's, that's kind of how I understand this, this passage and the, and the cultural part of it. In further support of women being able to speak in church, Paul has clearly told us already that women prayed and prophesied in public worship services back in chapter 11, verse 5. So keep that in mind as well. We can't just make a theology out of two verses and say that nothing else matters because here he says, women be silent. So keep that in in mind. The whole scripture is what forms our theology. In the last three chapters, 12 through 14, women have been included in all the spiritual gifts Even the speaking ones. Keep that in mind as well. Historically, God is in full support of women being empowered with and utilizing speaking gifts for the common good and the edification of the church. In Acts 2, verse 17 and 18, we're quoting an Old Testament prophecy here. It says In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit on my servants, men and women alike and they will all prophesy. So there are no gender biases in God's church. Paul names nine women in Romans 16, and at least five of them were his co-workers in ministry. Several of Paul's other letters list more women who were credited with the work of the gospel. You can't share the gospel without opening your mouth. So clearly this silent thing could be taken to an extreme, right? Many people... We'll point to this from this verse that we're looking at, 34 and 35, and we'll say, but Jeff, what about 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15, which says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. Have you ever heard that one before? There are several women that we could look at for their leadership in teaching in the church. There's several we could look at. I just want to look at one because she's familiar to us already here from 1 Corinthians. Her name is Priscilla. So when Paul first showed up in Corinth, he met a a wife and husband. Their names were Priscilla and Aquila. Interesting that the woman's name is mentioned first. That gives us perhaps a clue that she was more prone to join Paul in ministry than her husband was. And that's okay, right? So... Priscilla, she is credited as, to joining in with her husband Aquila and that when Apollos, another prophet or another, sorry, apostle came to Corinth or Ephesus. I, sorry, I forget the, which one, but whatever. They were in the city with Priscilla and Aquila and when Apollos is preaching. Priscilla and Aquila then actually take Apollos aside and they teach him more than what he needed, than what he knew already about the baptism of Christ. All he knew was the baptism of, of John the Baptist at that point. So there was more that he needed to learn and Priscilla was part of teaching him, a man, more about what he was doing. And he was already a full-fledged minister of the gospel. So if, we, if we're going to say women should be silent, women can't teach, yet we see these examples in scripture, either we're not understanding it fully or we need to make sure that we're understanding it from the whole biblical perspective. Finally, in Galatians 3 verse 28, this is a verse that I, I go to often It says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male, or neither is there male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Christ gives us gifts and equips all of us through the Holy Spirit. Our identity in the eyes of people just doesn't matter our past as whether we came from a Jewish Gentile background, whether we were slave or free, our economic status, or our gender. Those things are not the differentiating factor in us. It's if we are one in Christ. Perhaps a little bit sarcastic now, Paul says in verse 36, Or did the word of God originate with you, Corinthians? Because they knew a lot they think, about prophecy in tongues, right? So, oh, did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people that the word of God has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. Paul brought the word of God to the Corinthians, not the other way around. He's warning them once again not to be arrogant in the little bit that they know. If anyone in Corinth is truly hearing from God as a prophet or someone or as someone spiritual or as someone spiritual would, they will recognize that Paul is writing what God has commanded for his church. Failure to recognize God's will in what Paul is writing about in the order of a worship service will result in God failing to recognize that person. As a vital contributor in his kingdom. And here's here's the big conclusion that Paul offers in this chapter, thirty-nine or forty. Therefore, because of everything that I've just told you about, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So Paul wraps up this chapter reiterating that we should be eager to prophesy. What a huge benefit prophecy, hearing God's voice, and speaking something that God reveals to our hearts to others, what a benefit that is for our church. Although tongues has a few tricky spots to navigate, and we don't want to get carried away with that gift or any one gift, don't outlaw it either. It still has a place that is good in God's church. Utilize both of these gifts in a fitting and orderly way. All right, practical application time, and then we're done. Here's, here's, I guess, my final word for you this morning. If you feel, perhaps, that the Lord has placed a word on your heart that you are meant to share with our church, and it may be a word that's meant to be shared either through prophecy, where you just speak in your language, our language, right? Or it could be tongues, a word that you don't understand, but you feel a heavy burden on your heart that the Lord is saying you're supposed to share this. Come and talk to me. Let's find an appropriate way to build one another up. If it's tongues, we'll say, awesome. Let's, let's figure this out. Let's see if there's someone who can interpret. Do you know what it means yourself? Has the Lord revealed an interpretation to you? Do you know of anyone in our congregation who's an interpreter? If not, we're going to ask. We're going to find out. And we'll figure this thing out together. And if it's prophecy, once again, we'll do it in an orderly way. I, I want, if God has spoken a message to you, I want our church to hear it. This isn't the church of Jeff Peters. The Holy Spirit can work in every single one of us to reveal something that all of us need to know and learn. So come to me. Let's talk. Let's figure out a way to do these things well so that our whole church can be built up and edified. I'm going to pray. And while I'm doing that worship team, if you would come up, that would be great. Thank you, Father God, for this passage. Thank you for 1 Corinthians 14. We want to acknowledge the gifts of the Spirit that are highlighted in this passage, prophecy and tongues. We understand that there are proper ways to use these things, and there are also improper ways to use these things. We know that we can get carried away with one thing or another, or we can also be treating your good gifts as taboo, and then we totally outlaw them when that should absolutely not happen. So Jesus, I just pray that you would give us a heart that desires to do what you want in your church for the edification of your people. You know, it might be stretching to some of us to have someone else stand up and share a word, either a word of prophecy or a word of tongues. But Jesus, we want that because that's what you have given to us. And far be it from us to say that one of your gifts is not good or does not serve a purpose today in your church. Help us to do these things well. Help us to do these things appropriately and help us more than anything else always to have this heart that whatever we do, whatever gift we use, we do it with love and for the edification of your church. Thank you, Lord. Amen.